0: A podcast one production. G'day, I'm Tim Harcourt and welcome to the Airport of
1: In this special mini-series, we're sticking to home soil to discover some of the greatest export success stories taking place right here in Australia. Exporting can expose your business to a wealth of opportunities, but as we'll soon find out, there are some tricks and tips to getting it right. So in each of these six episodes, I'll speak to small businesses right across the country to find out how they've achieved their success overseas and what you can do to ensure your own. I want to take you back to the year 2000 when the Sydney Olympics had finally arrived. It was party time and we were told that we held the greatest Olympics ever. But in business circles it was actually doom and gloom. Many people were going on about the new economy and the information age and that Australia was doomed because we weren't good at either. In fact, the head of Hewlett-Packard, Carly Farini, was visiting Sydney coincidentally when the Olympics were on and said at the time that Australia was too old economy and that we should close down our farms and mines and become a software exporter like Taiwan. Of course, we all know what happened after that. The old economy actually boomed we saw incredible price rises for mining and in farming. And at the same time, we saw the prices of software technology fall. So all the things that we sold overseas, the price rose, all the things that we imported from overseas fell and Australia actually became very wealthy in terms of trade. But despite this, I actually think that the experts who were warning Australia about their peril got something wrong that was actually quite fundamental When you talk about the new economy or the smart country or the clever country, you don't have to assume everyone who's innovative would be sitting in a cafe with a black skivvy and a cafe latte in Surrey Hills or North Fitzroy, typing on their laptop. In fact, you can find smart companies and smart industries amongst miners and farmers and manufacturers in the bush as well as in the inner city. A great example of this is when I visited cattle country, Rockhampton, in central Queensland. I met the so-called drone cowboy himself, Ashley Kirk, of Rockley Brahmins. Ashley, welcome
0: to the show. Thanks, Tim. So how did Rockley Brahmin start? What's the story? I started back with my grandfather in 1954. He was... producing cattle well before that, but that's when the Rockley Brahmins actually started and that was handed down to my father and, yeah, Dad and I are working together at this stage now and I've got a young family myself, so um, that's a bit of brief history on how Rockley Brahmins started. And your cattle are called Brahmin because they actually come from India,
1: don't they? They can deal with the tropical climate you have in Rockhampton.
0: Yeah, that's right, yes, yes. So they're suited to that similar climate where they are bred and, yeah, they're certainly adapted to this area well and there's a lot of Brahmins around this central Queensland area and and certainly in the north and we're very fortunate that they handle those conditions and been breeding them a long time and they're here to stay that's for sure. I mean I was curious how many bulls you got and you know how many mates do they have? Must be a lot. We breed around 150 bulls each year so we have run about uh, six to eight hundred breeders so yeah you need that amount to breed bulls obviously half are females and half are males so and not all the males make a bull. So, yeah, have a quite a large or medium-sized breeder herd, I think. So you've exported from the beginning uh, in, in Japan. You're now
1: Southeast Asia and, and Europe. How would you make that choice and what was the progression?
0: Uh, so my grandfather used to sell meat to the processors and that was generally we were targeting that Japanese market, which is a, a heavier product, different uh, specifications to the European Union market we decided that um, when that market emerged that it was a great opportunity for us to um, turn an animal off quicker at a younger age and get paid a premium. So we've really targeted that market and meeting specifications that that need to be to to hit those markets and and get that premium.
1: And do you think with the growing middle class in Asia and uh, I guess more income to purchase, you know, more protein, that could really help sales in the future?
0: Yeah, certainly growing demand. People are the population's growing at a, a rapid rate so they need protein so there's huge opportunities for Australia to, to export our clean green um, product that's um, well known around the world. And why the focus on Europe in particular?
1: Is it the demand for
0: premium beef? Yeah we were selling to the Japanese market before that which is a, a heavier product. They're a bit older the cattle so you know we're trying to turn beef off as quickly as we can at a younger age so that was a a natural progression was to target that European market, which is not as heavy animal. It's turned off at a younger age. So um, if we can turn them off younger and get paid a premium, then it, it just seemed um, smart business to, to head in that direction. The next step, I suppose, for us may be organic. There's a premium there and uh, there's certainly demand for that growing and growing. So at this stage, we're targeting that European market, but there's certainly opportunity there for organic as the next level for us, I suppose.
1: There's been a lot of talk about free trade agreements. Do you
0: think a free trade agreement, say, with the European Union would help your beef exports? Yeah, it certainly would, I think, yes. Yeah, the more markets we got, the better. We'd put pressures on other markets, so the more value we can get out of our product, the better for us. So that if that means a free trade agreement deal, then that'd certainly be beneficial to everyone, I think. There's a lot of work to be done in that space, but, yeah, it'd certainly be a good thing from our side of things.
1: And how do you market yourself overseas? Is it, is it different from Australia? You know, do you join the pack as a good Aussie clean green beef producer, or do you drive the demand yourself for Rockleys?
0: Uh, No, it's mainly a collaboration between all industry bodies. So we work with companies and uh, locally, such as a semen exporting place not far from here, that sort of helps us to um, find deals at where where semen can be exported to improve their genetics in those South Asian countries. And they market very differently compared
1: to the market, you know, what would sell in Indonesia would be different than somewhere else in Southeast
0: Asia or Europe, for instance. That's true, yeah. Obviously, not as much land here, but a lot more people. So they're, um, yeah, they probably don't have the capacity to have the amount of breeders we have here. So they're happy to take live cattle and put as much weight on them over there as they can. So just being a bit more intensive over there compared to here where we've got a, well, we've got a blend of both, I suppose. The Northern Queensland has a lot of breeder country and they did tensifies as you go down south into more feedlot and smaller places with more cattle on a small amount of land, carrying capacity. Ever made any exporting mistakes that you had to fix up and mm. learn from? Yeah, there's been some times where our cattle probably haven't met that market um, where we can improve. Every market has a different specification to meet. So obviously if the cattle go through a m- nutrition deficiency, that, that can show up later on in life. So we try to um, keep them on a forward Plane of nutrition where they're going ahead and putting on weight, so it's just getting that right. You know, when we're dealing with drought and floods and certain things that affect their um, their well-being, it's um, yeah, we've just got to keep an eye on that. They're always going ahead, and if they do go back and suffer at certain times, then it can, can show up in, in we can fail to meet specifications, which you are given a discount in your product. So that's something we we try to keep an eye on.
1: Standards are important in your export industry. What advice would you give to other exporters facing a similar set of circumstances?
0: Oh, I think it's just asking for help and talking to people and seeing how they've done things and coming up with a a plan to head you in the right direction.
1: So all the growers, all the producers talking, having good communication across the community actually helps you with your export effort?
0: Yes, certainly. We're all in it together, so you know it's Australian beef, so if we can um, all band together and work towards a the standard, then that certainly sets us up, you know, as an individual family business. But yeah, it also helps the whole of the Australian cattle industry, which is what we should be about.
1: So there's been a certain instance where you had a real difficulty in a certain market and what sort of strategy did you bring about to tackle it?
0: Oh, I suppose one of the main common ones, Tim, would be drought. So that's um, something we've had to learn to manage. Um for example, we've had three places and it's been dry on all three at the same time so you can't sort of shuffle cattle around. So, yeah, we've had to learn to sell cattle at the right stages so you can balance your grass with your cattle. They obviously, we, we produce grass-fed beef so um, they need grass in front of them to keep them going. So, yeah, you learn from those times and whether you've got to feed cattle or buy more hay and there's those challenges that come. But, yeah, it's examples like that that sort of help you Learn from what's been done before and what you can do better.
1: So, Ashley, you're not just a cattleman; you've actually become a drone pilot, one of the first in the area. How does drone technology help you on the property?
0: Yeah, Tim. Yeah, we were probably one of the first to um, invest in one. They became uh, affordable in the market. What we thought was affordable, and, and they're obviously getting cheaper as they go. But um, yeah, we just saw an opportunity there to um, buy one and, and have a bit of a play around and just see how they how the cattle respond and work. Um, I suppose first and foremost, we ha- yeah have a stud and we would like to promote that side of things. So initially I, I saw it as an opportunity to, to get some footage and short clips of videos from flying above and around and moving them around and followed on with um, potentially moving them around and mustering them and changing them from to paddock to paddock and then becoming aware that that drone's there and, and knowing that sound and realising, oh, we might have to change a paddock now. We go into a, a paddock that they've eaten the grass out of and move into a, a fresh paddock where there's fresh feed and we're just yeah keeping a real good eye on that space of where how they're evolving and um, how they'll help us in the future with um, in terms of... I don't think they'll replace humans quite at this stage, but there's certainly opportunities there to, as they develop to help us out, um, making life easier and, and more efficient and, and saving costs. How do they help in labour saving? What did you do before and what you do with a drone? Oh, they just have the ability to cover a country f- quite quickly. Obviously, from the air, you can buzz around and be in a spot where a human can't be as quickly, either on a, yeah, if the human's on a motorbike and or on a horse, say, um, yeah, it gives you opportunity just to add another person, I suppose, to help you out on the ground. So it gives you that ability to, yeah, be somewhere else quicker. Um, they can just fly around or do a paddock check. You know, you've got cattle in a certain area you've got to find and bring them into the yard. So if you can get above that um, at a certain height and see what's in that paddock and you, you know you've got them all, otherwise you've you've got to drive around and check yourself, it can take a bit of time. You can, the chances are you can miss some. So it, you know, from the air, you know, that can help save a lot of time with that drone. So that's a, a big part of what we're doing.
1: So you're an exporter, so you're very conscious of costs and being competitive. Does the use of the drone technology actually reduce your costs
0: and make you more competitive as an exporter? I think it will certainly have the ability to do that down the track, but I think it just shows Australians are willing to adapt and, and, use what technology is available and we're seen as leaders in our field so I think um, exporting countries see those opportunities that Australia are taking and and, you know wanting to deal with us and the product we offer.
1: So an IT person doesn't have to just be someone in a black skivvy in a cafe latte in Surrey Hills or Fitzroy, it can be
0: a cattleman. That's right yeah. On a property. Yeah in a cowboy hat. In a Cobra
1: yeah. Yeah that's right. So like, you, you've been through it all. You've had cyclone, drought, flooding rains. I mean, how do you survive and how do you help others in the Rockhampton, Capricornia community?
0: Oh, I think it's just about banding together and sharing your stories and, and keep talking. Yeah. that As we said, there's a lot of the things they out of control, but if you can, um, talk about your, your issues and problems and, you know, we didn't used to share a lot of our industry years ago, but I think we're a lot better doing that now. We, um, talk a lot more and, and bounce ideas off each other and it's good to band together and, and help each other out when times get tough. Yeah, we're very good at that. Our industry is, is banding together and helping each other out.
1: Now you've been through this tough times, but you, you've come through. What advice would you give to first-time exporters, you know, looking to go to national, you know, even outside the cattle industry? What would it be your tips?
0: Oh, just having a plan really, I suppose, that the short-term and long-term goals of where you want to Take that product. Um, for us, it's a family, family-run business. So it's um, yeah, coming up with visions together where we where we share where we want to head. So it's yeah, a lot of planning and management and, and learning from mistakes and taking opportunities when they arise. Fantastic, Ashley.
1: Well, thanks for the time up on the property and thanks for talking to us today.
0: No worries, Tim. Thank you.
1: Well, that's it for this edition of the Airport Economist. I hope you enjoyed listening and picked up a few useful tips along the way. The Airport Economist podcast series is produced by Liv Proud, audio production by Darcy Thompson, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. The Airport Economist is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the app, or look us up on iTunes. And don't forget, there is also the Airport Economist TV series and book of the same name. You can find out more at our website, theairporteconomist.com, before you take off. Well, thanks for joining me. I look forward to our next business adventure together somewhere in the big wide world. I'm Tim Harcourt, and I'm The Airport Economist.